Hey everyone, I'm Philip Mead. And this is Scott Stigmeyer. And I'm Danny Webb. And this is The Blackest Eyes, a place for intelligent conversation about horror movies. And we are currently in season two where we have been discussing films in the slasher subgenre. And tonight we're going to discuss, well, what's really a classic now, the 1996 slasher film Scream, directed by Wes Craven. Uh, I think all of us have... Uh, saw this movie in the theater when it came out. We've seen it many times since. So it's going to be an interesting discussion, and we hope you'll join along with us and, yeah, jump right into the discussion. Tell us what you think about Scream. If you like us, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast catcher. And if you like the show, you can always donate to us $5 a month through Patreon. And you can read all about that at patreon.com forward slash the blackest eyes. So let's talk about Wes Craven and a movie that kind of rejuvenated the horror genre with Scream. Right, guys good to be back with you uh, we're talking about slasher movies and how can we talk about slashers without talking about scream uh, i am right uh, i'm assuming that all of us saw this in the theater scott did you see it in the theater in 96 no no i didn't but um i watched it today and i rewatched it i have seen it many times but no i i, I did not see it in the theater so you saw it on like VHS or something yeah. for the first time? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been VHS. Because um, back in you see in 1996, I've told you guys kind of my testimony here. In, in 1996, I was just starting to get reinterested in horror movies, so I wasn't going to the theater to watch horror movies very much in the mid 90s. Yeah, uh, Danny, you saw it in the theater, right? Oh yeah, I saw it multiple times in the theater. I'm sure it, I'm, I'm a Craven super fan. I think it's interesting that I want to hear from Scott later about. Uh, encountering it for the first time without having the background of being an obsessive slasher guy uh, beforehand, because I think you know it, it's it's you know it's so has so many touchstones to the classic slasher films that I think it would completely change how you took the movie. Well, let's talk how we always do with a plot summary. I think Danny, you are up. So tell us about Scream. Alrighty, guys, you can help me out if I leave out any big plot moments here. But uh, Scream opens with. Um, on the character of Casey, uh, Casey uh, Becker, I believe, uh, played by Drew Barrymore. And I'll take a, a brief moment just to say that uh, for those that weren't around at the time, Barrymore was easily the most famous person in the movie. And she had been featured in the in the promos for the movie and the trailer. And, and pretty much everyone, including myself, went into this movie thinking that she was going to be the main character. So the movie opens with her, and she gets a phone call, and, and uh, when a stranger called style, she gets a threatening, uh, mocking phone call that, you know, I can see you in the house, uh, uh, starts asking her questions about horror films, quizzing her, uh, eventually... Uh, you know, we find out that she is under serious threat. Uh, her boyfriend is um, revealed to be there, tied up and killed in front of her. Uh, she gets killed, and it was incredibly shocking when we first saw it. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. Um, she gets killed in a very, very brutal way with her parents so close and eventually even on the phone with her while she's going through her final death and it is it, so the film opens in an incredibly brutal way um we cut to a high school and this group of characters uh featuring uh, uh nev campbell as sydney prescott um matthew lillard as Stu. um oh, i'm gonna i'm terrible with names uh rose mccown and skeet Ulrich. um as Tatum and Billy, and they are discussing the deaths of their classmates. Uh, we start learning things uh, like, particularly that Sydney's mom had been killed in a vi violent way uh, about a year earlier. Um, the film progresses with uh, uh, Sydney getting threatening calls. We're introduced to a, this sort of a 
surrounding characters, the, a news reporter, uh, played by Courtney Cox, who, who did also have some fame at the time, um, a cop who's the brother of, of the uh, Rose McGowan character, and um, things escalate. Sydney's under threat. Uh, she gets attacked in her home. Her boyfriend, uh, Billy, shows up just afterwards, with a cell phone and you it's set up to look like he's the one that did it. He gets arrested. Uh, he eventually gets released. Um, she, you know, she begins to trust him again. Um, school, there's another desk school is school is let out. So the kids do this really, you know, smart thing while there's a killer on the loose and decide to have a, a big party out in, the, the suburbs, uh, they gather at um, uh, Stu's house, and of course, you know the killer shows up. There, there's a uh, a battle. Uh, it turns out, and I guess we go ahead. We always do spoilers on these things, right? Uh, it turns out that the killers are both um, that Stu is a killer. I'm sorry, Billy is one a killer, but also Stu is, and that they have teamed up and. Um, and not only are they the killers of um, Casey, but and the other deaths in the movie, uh, they were the ones that killed um, her mother, killed Sydney's mother. There's a you know, climactic battle, and you know, we end up with Sydney as a, a very strong uh, final girl at the at the end. Uh, and along the way, we get a lot of the tropes of slasher films, both uh, celebrated and turned on their ears. Right, I think that's it. Okay. Thanks for that. So let's talk about just general reaction to the film. You saw it in 1996. Danny, you saw it in the theater. You're a longtime horror movie lover. You're a longtime Wes Craven fan. So you come in, you see Scream, you leave the theater, and do you tell your friends, this is the best movie I've seen in a long time? Or were you more mild in your reaction? What did you think about Scream? No, I, I was absolutely hopped. Uh, I, I, have ab- I have no trouble remembering the day I saw this film the first time. Went with a couple of my friends who are huge, my brother and one of our friends, Huge horror fans, uh, huge Wes Craven fans, left the theater, immediately went back in and watched it again, watched it back to back. We may have taken a a break to eat food in between, Uh, but we watched it twice in one day and just really, really enjoyed it. Uh, For all the reasons that we're probably going to talk about, it it, it really is a love letter to the genre, but it's also very self-aware in a way that I don't think... uh, is satirical or tries to parody the genre. It's it really is uh, again both a love letter and, and 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 built to you know to examine the the genre and, and reimagine. It's a revisionist film, if, you know, if, if you want to think of it that way. The way Unforgiven is a revisionist uh, western, or you know Chinatown was a revisionist gangster film. So, Scott, after you left Blockbuster with your movie in hand, took it home, put it in your VCR, what did you think about Scream? I loved it. I really did. Like I said, I was just sort of getting into the, re-getting into the horror genre. As a kid, I kind of, you know, like kids do, you watch. Mostly for me, horror when I was young was like the Friday night, Fright Night special with the horror host, local Kansas City, Missouri horror host. Her name was Cremation Mortem, I think, or something. And so, but these were corny, cheesy, older Hammer movies. That was my earliest kind of, but as an adult, I got back into it around the mid nineties. And this is one of the ones, the first ones. So I loved it. I mean, I had seen Halloween and Friday the 13th, but there'd been years in between. And I wasn't necessarily, I would not have considered myself at that time, sort of a fan of the subgenre of slashers. Um, I'm not even sure I knew much about Wes Craven. I probably had heard the name, but um, but no, I I really liked it. Uh, you know, it it um, I I enjoyed the the mix of suspense and the sort of the humor element to it. Then even the nostalgia, even though that wasn't um, a, as big a thing for me, probably. But yeah, I I really liked it. My first time seeing it, I really liked it. Well, before we discuss some of the specific elements of the film, why don't we talk about um, uh, big picture, looking into the film, and you've mentioned the word already, Danny, uh, satire, parody, 
self-aware. These are words that come up every time Scream is discussed. So let's talk about that. Uh, Danny, what's your understanding in general of parody and satire? How are those things related? How do they differ? How would you explain the differences to maybe a classroom? And you say you don't think necessarily Scream is doing that. So talk to us a little bit more about that. But first, let's start with parody versus satire. What are we talking about here? Okay, so obviously these are very close to related concepts. Uh, parody is has built in the understanding that it's, it's looking for humor, right? Uh, a film that is parodic is making fun of its source and it's doing it for laughs right parody immediately moves us into the comedy genre uh, satire isn't necessarily funny uh, lots of people are going to find it funny and lots of satire is purposely funny but satire is about ridicule it's about holding elements of a thing usually you know society religion you know according to the work uh, but if it was in this case it would have been slasher films right uh, and I honestly don't believe, and no one has to agree with me here. Uh, I have this argument with people all the time. Uh, I don't believe it's either, a par- I, I'm 100% sure it's not a parody. And I don't even believe it's satirical. I think it, I, I, I don't think it's ridiculing slasher films at all. And I, and, and I have some evidence of that if we want to talk about it, if that's even something we're interested in talking about. Yeah, I don't think it's, um, you know, I, I'd never really thought about the the definitional differences between parody and satire. So I think that's kind of cool that I learned that just now. Um, yeah. Now that you say it, I don't really think I agree with you. I mean, I do agree with you. I don't really think I would say it's either of those things either. It does have humor and um, a lot of, a lot of horror films have, have some humor or comic relief. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's a, yeah, based on those definitions, I wouldn't call it a satire or parody. I'm not sure what word I would use other than, you know, meta. Um, right, right. And it, it, obviously it has elements of both satire. Yeah. There's some parody in it and there's some satire in it. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm talking overall. I would just think of it, as I said before, as, as revisionist, you know, the idea that you're exploring the themes and inverting themes from an existing genre. So when Craven is so specifically, uh, intentionally pulling out the so-called rules of horror movies and the rules of slasher movies, you can't have sex, you never say, I'll be right back, um, what's he doing there then? He's obviously doing something intentional, using the word revisionist or, of course, meta-horror. We hear a lot about that. Scream is usually at the top of the list of any kind of meta-horror list that we see. Uh, but how how do you interpret those things? Is it is it just playing into that idea of expecting the unexpected, or they're just self aware that they're kind of inside of a horror movie, but there's really nothing more that they can do about it. They're getting clipped off one at a time, and that just adds to the fun and to the charm. So you you didn't have all of those background elements in place, Scott, when you originally saw the film. What do you think was happening there with the rules? Did you just think that was a fun part of the film, or did it speak to you more than that? Yeah, no, I thought, I mean, I, I, I thought it was just a fun part of the film. I thought that the observations at, at the time, I mean, I've seen a lot more horror movies since 1996, but at the time I thought, wow, you know, that's actually kind of true. There is sort of um, a formula and, and, and there is, you know, and so, uh, yeah, I just thought it was kind of a cool observation. It, it was played for humor. And, uh, and I, I mean, I thought the, the humorous performances of people like Matthew Lillard, I, I mean, were, were a riot um, it, all through, even to the very end. I thought he was um, just got a big kick out of his performance. And so, yeah, he was part of that whole. What was the other kid's name? Um, Randy. Ran, was, Ran, Randy. Yeah. Jamie Kennedy is Randy. He uh, I think he does a great job in here as the guy who does present those rules. Uh, Phil, I would say this, though. Aren't all the rules wrong Don't, yes aren't they immediately shown to be wrong in the film and, and actually pretty close to when he says them we see that they're wrong uh, there's one scene in which uh, 
Sydney says, I don't like horror films. It's just, you know, some big-breasted bimbo who, who uh, runs upstairs into danger instead of running out the front door. And then when she is uh, almost right after that threatened, she tries to go to the front door. It's locked, and she's forced to run upstairs where she is threatened. So, and and, and that, that conceit is constant in the movie, right? That, that things that we're set up to believe are true, and we actually recognize as true in slasher films, are then shown to be untrue by the movie. Yeah, you know, I think it's even worth asking. There's some truth in that that's true, but it, it almost seems like we believe it's true because we've heard it said so many times. How much truth is it? Is there really? A, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if the rules, if you ask John Carpenter, if the rules of Scream are actually true of his films or of slasher genre, he gets really upset, and he says, no, it's not true. It's not the way that films are made. It's not what directors have in mind when they're making these movies. Uh, maybe some of those elements are coincidental. Maybe it's the way people are interpreting, but that's not what's really going behind the films. And I think sometimes we hear things so often that we think that it's just universally true when, in fact, there's... It, maybe more to it than meets the eye. And I think Craven was maybe going at that a little bit. Yeah, well. yeah, I agree with you 100%. Craven, you know, would have been aware of that. Um, and, and I don't completely agree with John Carpenter uh, in that I don't think the author gets the final say in this, right? We, we get some distance. We look back at a, a swath of time with the genre, and we could definitely see trends that were not intended by the director. Uh, and there are certainly films that hit these tropes pretty hard, uh, uh, punishing sexuality and all that. It's just not necessarily true of the genre as a whole, or even maybe a, a, a large number of the genre. I think when we get through this season of slasher films, it'll probably be about 50-50 whether there was that kind of puritanical punishment for bad behavior that is you know, a big part of the rules. But could you say that... Peace is definitely right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could you say that there is, though, there are common tropes? They may not be rules, um, but but there are co common tropes in, in horror movies or in, in maybe the slasher horror movies. Well, certainly, right? And mm -hmm. it doesn't yeah, take we talk us, about it, them all the time. Yeah. Right. It doesn't take us very long to realize it. I think Abbott Costello versus The Wolfman was like, in the middle of those universal horror films being made. Like, it was already so clear that they had established, you know, those films around a number of tropes that you could be, you could parody them right off the bat. You know, the company that made them could parody them right off the bat. And slasher films are, you know, obviously just as tropish. It's very important, though, and I'm sure we've said this at some point in 60 episodes, but tropes aren't a negative thing. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely nothing negative about saying that something... You know, it contains tropes. Right? It's just recognizing that they're conventional elements of a work. Well, there's no way we could say we're horror movie fans if there wasn't some truth to that, because there's certain commonalities that we enjoy and we keep coming back to. And yeah, and every genre has those. Right. Yeah, yeah. It'd be hard to, to know what we're defining if we don't have some of those things. Yeah, and I think they're in there. It's just the specificity at which Scream comes at them. Whenever someone says, I'll be right back, it means they're going to die. I don't know. I mean, and let's our, watch a hundred slasher films and see if that's true or not. You know, I, it, it's some of those things that I, I think. Well, let me just let me just throw out my thing on this, and uh, I'm way in the minority. Almost everyone disagrees with me, and hey, I'm used to that. It's fine, but I typically don't care for horror movies that are quote unquote self-aware, where they recognize that there's something of a horror genre taking place, and they realize it. So I hate, I hate the, the, the idea of the meta, the meta horror reality. Craven dipped into this with New Nightmare, one of his last, um, you know, Freddy Krueger films, when that all of a sudden you begin to see something that's very unexpected, which is they're talking about the fact that the first nightmare on Elm Street was a movie, and they're recognizing it in New Nightmare as, as a movie. Brilliant. Yes. Well-directed? Yes. Compelling? Yes. Uh, critically acclaimed? Yes. I, I didn't want anything to do with it. I, I, I've never watched it since. I've only seen the movie once. It just ruined the whole thing for me. And Scream flirted with that with me. It wasn't as bad as New Nightmare, but it, it just flirted with it. 
and it just makes me uncomfortable. It, it screams so well done. It's so well filmed. It's it's Wes Craven. I mean, it's so good. But there was just always this flirting with something that I'm personally uncomfortable with. You and I have had this conversation a million times, Danny. I don't even know why. I just am. And I, I can begin to feel it on the back of my neck when I get into a situation with a movie that I'm not comfortable with because of this self-awareness. And it's it's just it's just difficult to describe. Most people disagree with me on that, but that's my take on on Scream. I think Craven's brilliant, but it just flirts with something that I don't particularly care for in horror movies. It's it's really odd. I'm I'm right with you on basically any other thing like meta humor, uh, internet meme humor, all that. It's, you can miss me with all this stuff. I have no interest in it. Uh, I'm not as bothered by it in horror films for some reason. I, I do, but really quickly, let's point out how different in tone those two films are, though. New Nightmare is dead serious. Like, there's no satire, no parody. It is a you know a dead serious deconstruction of the horror film. It's mm-hmm. absolutely you're right, self-referential, self-aware, but absolutely no humor. Like it is. It's dead serious and dark. Um, you know, Scream obviously is playing this for laughs. There are people that are in a horror film, but they're not aware they're in a horror film, but they're pretending they're in a horror film. So it's meta. I just don't think it's as problematic as, say, if it was New Nightmare done funny. You know, I have the tendency to talk out of both sides of my mouth because you can't get more meta than Leslie Vernon. Um, one of my favorite horror movies, uh, one we have to talk about at some point. But the difference with that movie, in a sense, is it is the meta narrative. The, the, the meta idea comes in because it's so unexpected. All of a sudden, it turns unbelievably real and serious. And the serial killers from Friday Thirteenth and Halloween—they're real. Like these are actually real serial killers. And at first, you think it's just going to be this lame, self-aware kind of humor parody of the horror genre. And then, by the time you're at the end of the movie, it's it's unbelievably scary, serious, and incredibly well done. Where you've been set up, this guy's just a jokester, and at the end of the movie, you're actually afraid for the other characters because of him. Absolutely brilliant. But don't you? One thing that surprised me about Scream, considering everything you just said, it's playing it for laughs and. Uh, all, all we've already been talking about but then it's really gory there's scenes especially the final scene of scream for me has always been hard to watch even i can remember seeing it in the theater and doing that whole cringe and i'm like holding my hands because they keep stabbing each other in the hands and they're going a little bit too deep and that that knife wound went a little too deep and you can it was actually really well acted too you can see it in their face as this is going too far, and life is beginning to drain out of them. I found those scenes to be really, I don't know, scary, but really compelling. I just You could yeah. feel those wounds as they were happening. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was actually, it's bookended by that, right? It's got that opening scene with Casey that is, I just still feel one of the most brutal murders in any slasher film. Like it's so well acted, so personal, uh, so gory. Like it, uh, you know, she's left there hanging with her guts, you know, visibly hanging out. Her parents you know, see her. Her mom sees her and screams. And it, you know, and you're not expecting that death. It's a surprise death. Again, you feel Drew Barrymore every, you know, every second that she's under threat. And then, like you said, that last scene, <laughs> just every stab uh, is both hilarious and and brutal. So so good. So good. Yeah, I, I think those two bookend scenes really make the film. I wonder if do you guys want to talk about a little more about the whole Drew Barrymore sequence, the opening sequence? I kind of want to talk about it at some point. Is that okay? Go for it. Okay. Yep. So for me, remember, not that steeped in horror at the time. That was, I thought, the most awesome thing I'd ever seen is the way that movie that movie begins. It was for me, it was super clever. It was surprising. It was scary, tense. I don't know. I just thought it had everything. Uh, now, you know, I watched it again today, and I've seen a, a trillion horror movies since then that you know 
So it's not it, it it's not as maybe effective. But at the time, boy, I'd just never seen anything like it. It um, like Danny said, I thought you know you think Drew Barrymore at the time she's she is sort of a famous person. I thought this is going to be about Drew Barrymore, and it, but it immediately starts with a phone call, right? And um, the guy. So this is like the when a stranger calls, right? That's the first, this movie throughout refers to other horror movies constantly, sometimes explicitly, sometimes just implicitly. But this, right? I mean, that's the 1979 Carol Kane movie, right. uh, When a Stranger Calls. This is exactly the same sort of setup, um, which I have kind of a personal testimony about that movie at some point. Uh, when a stranger calls, so that that maybe that's why this this whole bit resonated with me so much. It, I just thought it was really scary. It was it was well done, surprising. Um, uh, let's talk about how yeah. about the voice, right? Yeah, the okay. the the actor that does the voice uh, of the caller and scream. Uh, you know, supposedly it's Billy and Stu with a voice changer, but the actor is phenomenal. There is such menace in his voice and that right from the start like as soon as he you know he, like he's playing around and then he says something like i'm gonna gut you like a pig or something like that. and it is brutal uh west craven on the uh on the the uh commentary track i couldn't think of what those are called i haven't watched them in so many years but uh he on the commentary tracks he talks about how it was very hard to ever get actors to go as dark as he as he wanted them to go because they tended to be nice people and they just didn't have access to that kind of darkness. But the, that, that actor, and I really, I, I hate that I can't remember his name, but that, that actor really, you know, could go to a very dark place when he was threatening uh, the women on, on those phone calls. Uh, and I, I felt it. I, I felt it before I heard Wes Craven say that. Yeah. So just maybe for a little bit different take, uh, agree, agree with all of that, but a little bit different take is I, I can also remember watching the first scene and thinking everything you guys just said, but reaching the conclusion of that was kind of already done. Like it was a, when a stranger calls, and that was Janet Lee from Psycho. They just killed her off in the first scene, and it's kind of cheesy to have a guy tied in a chair and just kill him in front of her. And I, you know, I, it's just the whole movie. I never knew if I was like that was really good or. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I, still, uh, I, I don't. That's just the way I always feel about Scream. It's just like, oh, that was awesome, or was it just kind of not in some ways? Yeah, I just the, always your, go back and forth. You, your awareness of the touchstones is is causing you to, uh, you know, to not be able to engage with it. I get that certainly. Uh, on the other hand, my awareness of the touchstones is, you know, probably heightening my appreciation of it. But yeah, that's just I, a personal thing, so I don't. That's not an issue whatsoever. I pro- I probably more like that too. I mean, yeah, of course, I see the similarity to Psycho and and uh, the When a Stranger Calls thing. I just thought it was really fun. You know, I mean, for for someone who isn't really keen into horror movies, uh, it was scary in a way that was a little surprising. I just thought it was kind of in it. It got my adrenaline going right away. Um, so so for that, I appreciate. It. I thought it was kind of. Maybe cheesy, but but for me that was fun. I thought that was pretty successful in that way. But yeah, when the guy becomes menacing, so this is kind of a flirty phone call, acts like it's a wrong number, and but then he starts to say, "Yeah, I want to." Uh, I think he says, "I want to see your insides," or "I want to see what your insides look like," and she gets really scared. Yeah, I thought that was that was pretty. Uh, that freaked me out a little bit. Um, so uh, yeah, I think the performance helped for me certainly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then she dies, right? And it was a surprise. And I know they did that with Jenna Lee in, in Psycho, but um, you know, I know that now. Uh, and uh, but but having watched um, when a stranger calls or or um, scream when it when it came out, I wasn't I wasn't as t- in tune to that. It didn't. So for me, it just really seemed original and, and interesting. I watched it today, and I, I would still say that's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, but I don't love it as much as I used to. I think I've always been curious and a little bit surprised that diehard horror fans, and, and we're all top of the list, but that that there is as much universal 
acclaim for Scream as there is. I'm, I'm surprised there's not more pushback because there, there are so many elements of the movie that we've just seen. And, and then it's like, well, okay. I, you know, so in the movie Tombstone, one of the scenes in Tombstone, did you, have you all seen Tombstone, Val Kilmer, Kurt Russell, Western film? You know what love I'm talking it, about? Love it. Yes, yes, yes. I love that movie. One of my favorites. But one of the scenes that always was curious for me in Tombstone is they're they're all in the bar, and uh, Johnny Gringo comes in with Curly Bill, and he's standing in front of Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer, beautifully played by Val Kilmer, and they're you know they're staring each other down, and they're doing their their machismo thing, and Johnny Gringo pulls out his revolver, his pistol, and he starts doing all these tricks with his pistol in front of Doc Holliday and everybody else, and they're all looking at Johnny Gringo like oh goodness you know I, wow that's an amazing trick and everybody's ooh and, and on and then you put you know he puts it back in his holster then everybody looks at doc holiday oh how's he going to react how's he going to match what ringo just did y'all remember the scene yeah oh yes my brother and i have talked about this so many times these hardcore western rough and tumble outlaw Doc Holliday, Kurt, you know, Wyatt Earp, like, is that really going to impress them? The guy can do tricks with the gun and flip it around like that. And it looks like they were really, you know, like Wyatt Earp looks over at Val like, oh, man, what are you going to do? You know, and then he, of course, mocks him and ends up getting a laugh. But that scene has always been so strange to me. Like, do you really think these these tough Westerners are going to be impressed by that? Like that that's really going to do something to them? But the movie plays it up as it. That's sometimes the way I feel about like hardcore horror fans. If they watch some of these things where you're kind of poking fun a little bit and doing a lot of scenes that we've seen before, and you're you're even kind of flaunting the fact that we've seen it before, and you think we're going to be impressed by this? Like you really think this is going to move us? But the answer is yeah. <laughs> In fact, it does. And that's always just been so curious. I, I'm not suggesting people shouldn't like the film. I like it. I'm just surprised that it ha- enjoys as much universal appeal I, from hardcore I actually, horror fans. I, I would actually say it's more divisive than you think it is. Like, yeah, uh, I've not seen it, that. It, uh, I'm on a, um, a particular horror group on Reddit. And Scream came up just this week, or maybe it was last week, and it was probably seventy-five percent of people just ripping it, like it would, you know, people just what? hating on it. Yeah, uh, and there were, there were other people in there, of course, basically saying you guys are idiots. Uh, but every time it comes up, there's you know a certain percentage of people. Usually, it's the other way around, right? Seventy-five percent of people loving it. Uh, mm-hmm. But every time it does come up in conversation on any of my groups, there's a number of people that are like, "Ugh!" They really have your opinion, and and I have absolutely no trouble understanding why someone would have that opinion. Uh, again, I very rarely like that. And, and here's the thing that surprised me most. It's even different than what we're talking about here. Is this is one of my favorite? It's probably I would in my top ten horror films. Maybe not that high top 20 probably and it's probably the only film that's not at all subversive or transgressive or you know controversial in any way it, it it's a it's a mainstream love letter to horror film right incredibly popular among a, you know uh, the horror audience and also just the g- general film going public it doesn't do anything that you know flips the genre on its edge or anything it's not a you know offensive or you know playing on any kind of uh, subversive traits, or it's not satirical really in any dark way. Um, but I still love it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I get it. I get that. I get why people wouldn't love it. And I may not even be able to particularly articulate why I like it. I just think every individual instance of reference and acting, and I just, I love every bit of it. I, I just really, I, I like all the, like, I, I, I'm an apologist for all four of these. I, I think the first one's great, but I think the other three are fine too. Like, I, I enjoy this series. Yeah, yeah I do, too. Um, and I, I, like you just said, Danny, I'm not even 100% sure I can explain why. I just thought it was fun. You know, it just for me, it was an entertaining, fun horror movie. I don't I don't think it's, you know, I tend to, the kind of horror movies I usually like are the most dark, nihilistic, 
movies, you know, I tend to go for things like The Witch or Midsummer, or those tend to be the things that make me most interested. I but they don't entertain me in in the same kind of way. I find them much more fascinating. This one to me was maybe just more of a popcorn movie. It is. Yeah. It's it's, it's pop music, right? It's mm-hmm. it, it's easily digestible and and fun. Uh, and I, the film that I can compare this to that I also probably shouldn't like and does exactly what Phil's talking about is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yeah. That that is one of my favorite films of the last decade, and it is so you know referential and meme and tongue in cheek and just you know you know sort of special it's just i don't know uh, it, i shouldn't like it as much as i do but it it talks to me every scene i enjoy every element of it and you know scream is the same way i, I love the characters uh, i think rose mcgown is great in this film i think she's such an interesting character uh, i wish she hadn't died so we could have gotten more of her um yeah i i, I really do enjoy almost I'm, this is a We've done 500 episodes of this thing, right? We've done 60 some episodes, and this is, you know, one of the few times I just fanboy out over a movie. I really, really love this film. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I love it too. So, so Philip, I think you. Yeah, me and me and little bit, but also as we always say, I don't care. None of us care if people disagree with us, right? No, no, no that's, that's fine. I, I just yeah, and what what intrigues me a little bit is I can't know. I don't even know if I can tell you why I I, I like. I just. But that's you know. fun. Yeah, I mean, right, I think right. it, I don't think we always have to be able to explain why we do or we don't. You know what Stephen King said? Sometimes asking a horror fan why they're a horror fan is like asking a rose why it's red. We don't know. <laughs> we just enjoy it. And I think that's fantastic uh, that, that you're fanboying out. I mean, it's it's good to see. You know, when we go to theme parks, me and my brother go to theme parks. We're aficionados. We go to a lot of theme parks. We've seen a lot of things. And it's really, really fun when we catch ourselves just in awe of something. And, and, and we, we kind of forget the fact that we're, we kind of do this and we blog about it and we write reviews and we're looking with a critical eye and there's those moments when we just forget all of that and we're just having a blast. Those are good moments, and it's good when that can happen in the horror genre as well. Yeah, for me, that anytime I just turn the corner and I'm on Main Street at Disneyland or the Magic Kingdom, it's just it's that should not be after going 500 times. That should not be impressive, but I geek out every time on that too. So, so yeah. scream is by scream is Magic Kingdom for me, I guess. So. Um, you know the the sitsum here, the theological term that the situation, the historical situation is important for me as well. So let me just describe this because it, it, I think it does matter when we watch a movie, what our first impressions of a film are, depending on the situation that we find ourselves historically, contextually, what's happening in our lives. Um, so in 1996, I was a sophomore in college, and I had come out of a high school situation where. Uh, I was kind of, uh, I enjoyed hard rock music. I enjoyed heavy metal music. I played in a band. I played uh, in a classic garage heavy metal band. Uh, I was hanging out with a group of guys that kind of pushed back a little bit against, you know, um, a typical high school, well, the people in Scream, basically, you know, the the, the popular crowd, the preppy people. And... um, Metallica was always a favorite band of mine, and in 1990, 1991, Metallica released an album known today as the Black Album. Inner Sandman was uh, the popular song. And all of a sudden, my entire high school, I went to a huge high school. Everybody in the high school loved Metallica, and it drove me crazy. Like It it literally drove me crazy. I was just at that age. Looking back, I'm sure it was an act of immaturity and... But I just feel like you're invading my turf, you know, like this, you don't really like this genre, you don't really like this band, you don't know anything about the band, you can't even tell me a name of the member of the band, you just like this video that MTV is is pushing. And that kind of moved me into the college scene, and then Scream comes out, and everyone loves it, like, it's just, everybody loved this movie and raving about it, horror fans love it, non-horror fans love it, it's huge, it's popular. And I can remember that also just kind of annoying me. Like, you know, this is a this is a genre that you're not supposed to like. You don't you don't really like this genre. For some reason you like this movie and it's almost popular to like the movie. 
And then all kinds of movies started coming out like that. And that started annoying me. So we get I Know What You Did Last Summer and Urban Legend and all the movie posters look the same. And then my favorite franchise in the world, Halloween, releases H2O, which is just a vomit fest. And it looks like all of the screen production and everything. And yeah, the more I talk about it, the more I'm even convincing myself I hate this movie. <laughs> because, because of all of these reasons that are just historical and unique to me. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It does. And uh, for the for the listeners and Scott, who do not know this, uh, Philip and I had this argument immediately after the release of Scream. So so it's it's long for us. And also I took, I took Phil as a Christmas present to see Metallica's Black Album tour. So. You did, when that, and that was like only one of two times I ever saw them live, which was like so awesome. I'll never forget that. We were at, was that Rupp Arena? Rupp Arena, yeah. Yeah, man, it was great. But anyway, uh, yeah, I get it. I was I, I was a heavy metal guy. I was a punk, right? I played in a punk band, I, and I absolutely was one of those guys that had a knee-jerk reaction anytime one of my little punk bands suddenly or alternative bands uh, got popular i remember going through that with rem you know we'd gone down to georgia the 40 watt club and watched rem and the b-52s when they were first starting out then suddenly they were filling up arenas and i said and and i went to arena show at rep arena and all these frat boys were singing along to like the one hit song and then were on their phones for all the other songs and and yeah i get it i get it And and i can see how you can connect that to scream absolutely well, I understand it too. I just finished reading a book. Interestingly, I just read a book. Um, I forget the title, but it was about the hippies. Okay, it was a history book. I read a book that was the history of the hippie movement. And it goes, talks about the beats, right? The beat generation in the 50s. And then you've got the the counterculture of the 60s and the 70s. And you've got the, the hippies. And all sorts of, and then there's the yippies. And there's all sorts of things like this. And, you know, there's the hate Ashbury scene in, in San Francisco. Um, and, you know, there's all these hippie communes all over the United States. Same stuff is going on, right? I mean, there were the real, the, the real believers. There were the, there were the true believers, the hippies, who were countercultural. They wanted to um, deconstruct and reinvent the world. They, were, they really were committed to this, not just as a fad, not just as a style, uh, but as, as you know, their life, it is the meaning of life. <laughs> Some of these folks, right, is about peace and getting having unity with the earth and uh, overcoming racism and, and defying authority. But then it started to become popular and suddenly all sorts of Midwestern kids who were on summer break showed up at Haight-Hashbury in the 60s, the summer of love, right? And... The, and it ruined it. It ruined for the true believers. It ruined it because now it became commercialized. Now it became popular. So maybe that's kind of it's a similar dynamic, right? Maybe the you, you're you're the true believer, and um, because this is so kind of popular, it, it, maybe it seems like that that kind of messed it up for you. That, yeah, but that, you know, it, uh, well, sure. I think that's the point I was making. But then, but you have to be you have to be aware of when you're taking that too far. My wife. Is really helpful with this because uh, she likes certain kind of music. She has a very particular taste in books. She is a reader; like she reads more than I do, and um, and sometimes she will read books that are extremely popular, extremely popular. And and I'll say, "Baby, you're so you know you're so brilliant, and you're reading something. That, you know, tell me why you're reading that." And she said, "Well, here's the thing." Just because it caught on and just because it's really popular, I don't want to um, punish myself simply because other people are catching on. I still like this and I still enjoy it. And so if the whole world joins in or not, I'm not going to punish myself just to make a point that everybody else is doing it. And she, you know, she's, she's really helped me on that because when if, if I enjoy something and it's it, – it, it speaks to me at whatever level we're talking about, whether it's a movie or whether it's a song or whether it's a theologian or whatever. And just because it catches on 
is not a good enough reason to then say, well, I no longer like it, or I'm no longer a believer, I'm not going to pay attention to it. So you have to have a certain level of self-awareness here to know your own limitations and how this goes. At 19 years old, I wasn't there, and maybe still still aren't, <laughs> still, still working through that. Yeah, that's, that's but, way too sensible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I again, I, I've said this from the beginning, and I've even I even said this back when you and I were talking about this in the day. I recognize this is a great movie. I mean, I do. I, I recognize it's very well done. Craven was a, was a genius. He did it perfect. I have no issues with the movie from those kinds. I don't criticize it from any of those standpoints. It's just not for me, mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of movies, right? Sometimes it's just it just doesn't click with you, and that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it can be very much a personal thing, right? I mean, there's, there's, you know, not just sort of some objective standard about what makes a good horror movie. Yeah, you guys, subjective. you guys are, you know, among maybe four people that I will even take a horror film recommendation from. And I tell my students all the time that horror and comedy are just so hard to recommend. They're such personal things, right? Especially if you're looking for a horror film to scare you. I mean, what scares you is so personal, and what scares me is definitely probably not going to scare Scott, right? It's it, it's a personal thing. Uh, comedy the same way. What makes me laugh? So so yeah, sure. I, I don't I don't think there's any issue, especially when something that is this popcorny, that uh, that there'd be disagreement on it. I, you know, since uh, let me just add this. Um, I think it's been. I think it's been at least 10 years since I'd seen Scream, okay? I'd seen it several times, but it's been a long time since. I didn't enjoy it as much today, okay? I mean, you know, some movies I can watch over and over, especially if there's been a 10-year or more gap. But, yeah, I mean, so we talked about the beginning. At the end, what annoyed me was it just never ended you know i mean there was like a kill and then he's not really dead and then there's a kill and then there's a stat you know it's like the constant coming back and maybe that was part of the self-awareness maybe that was part of the the inside joke but just annoyed me i i you know i just come on you know so but at the but you know 30 years ago (laughs) or 25 years ago i don't I, i had just had a different reaction because i i was completely bamboozled that there's two killers i mean i one of the cool things about this movie and it is one of the rules of horror films given by the one fella is that um everybody's a suspect okay well for me everybody i i really didn't know i thought it could be any of them you're trying to figure out who the murderer is and um at first i thought it was going to be billy loomis the boyfriend and then i thought no way but it was. <laughs> it really was. And not only that, but it was him and another guy, it, you know, so, which floored me. So, so there was a lot of the unexpected stuff. But, but, but today I just got kind of tired of the, you know, when's it finally going to end? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, what, the way I reacted now is different than the way I reacted then. I think the whodunit element is somewhat unique. Um, most of the icons that we know in the horror genre, the slasher genre, we know who's doing the killing, right? It's Michael Myers and it's Freddy Krueger and it's Jason Voorhees, with the exception of the first uh, Friday the 13th, which is actually referenced in the film. It's not Jason Voorhees, it's Mrs. Voorhees. So that Friday the 13th was kind of a whodunit, I guess. But yeah, that was kind of unique. You know, you're, you're guessing the whole time who the killer, I thought that was like an interesting part of the movie. I, I enjoyed that, and I can remember not knowing who it was. I, I was not prepared for the two uh, killer reveal either, and I thought that was really well done. I remember thinking that when I first saw it, certainly. One part of the movie that doesn't get talked about enough, um, I think maybe we've said in the past that I, I may pay attention to this more than you guys do, I don't know, uh, but it's the score of the film. The score of the film is so good. And it's ironic because it's not a traditional horror movie slasher score, which you maybe would think that that's kind of what he would go with. Uh, But no, it's really different. So if you listen to the score on YouTube, you can find, um, you know, various ways to listen to it. Uh, It's it's unbelievably not only haunting, but incredibly meditative. 
and really well done. Have either of you listened to it by chance? And uh, I, yeah, I own I own a, a CD of it. I'm, again, super fan here. Uh, I do really enjoy it. I also thought I don't know if you noticed this, but there are a few times that instead of having a score, it uses the score of the film that's on the television right. to score right. the scene, and I I thought that was just incredibly clever and fun. Um, especially since we all recognize the scenes that are being are being shown on the TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But again, I, this is where I have, to, you know, oh, Danny, when I saw it in the theater and that happened, you know, the first thing I'm thinking of is, well, Carpenter did that with Halloween, with The Thing, you know? When right. Tommy Doyle is looking out the window, you're listening to The Thing from Mount, or what, no, not The Thing from Mount Space, um, Who Goes There, or whatever, you know, the original thing that the movie that's playing in the background, it's using the score from that film. And, you know, and I may not have been in tune enough to realize all the things that Craven was doing, but I can remember thinking, well, yeah, it's cool, but kind of, you know, I've seen this before, you know, in another movie. But, no, you're absolutely right. It, it's it's really well done. But the, the score that was written specifically for the film, um, if you go back and just listen to it, it's just really, really good. Um, it, it's not just, you know, strings and and the stuff you typically associate with slasher films uh, i think there's something there to listen to have you heard it scott do you remember or have you paid any attention to it throughout yeah, the film i i no, i haven't listened to like the the soundtrack or the score or anything but i did notice the music right i mean so while i'm watching the movie there were a couple of times where i today where i uh wikipedia to try to figure out oh, what's that song you know i mean i I, so I thought it did catch my interest. Sometimes it's probably advisable that you don't notice the music that much, but um, yeah, I mean, so, but I no, I haven't listened to the score. I haven't listened to the music that was just written for the movie, but some of the song selections, you know, one of my favorite non-horror directors is Quentin Tarantino. I don't love all his movies, but I love a lot of his movies. And one of the reasons I like Quentin Tarantino is his music. He picks really often really, really interesting music to go along. Um, and it may be newly scored or it may be something that he pulled out of the vault. Uh, so there were a couple moments today when I in Scream where that happened to me, where I thought, oh, what's that Nick Cave song going on? Yeah, that, oh, that's, mm-hmm. I was going to say the Nick Cave song. Yeah. I, I wrote down in my notes here, best use of a Nick Cave song in a film. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I wrote it down. I didn't say that, but I wrote down <laughs> Nick Cave because I wanted to investigate the song further. Yeah. So I noticed that, it. That's funny. Uh, it's also used very well in an X-Files episode, for the record. <laughs> that's one of my favorite songs. Well, why don't we talk about, um, just for a moment here, a little bit more of the comedic element. Uh, there were definitely comic relief, and um, so I, I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. R- remind me of the, what's the deputy's name? Dewey. Um, Dewey. Dewey. Mm-hmm. Dewey. So let's talk about Dewey for a little little bit. At one point, you think he's just so, you know, it's like a, uh, you know, what's the uh, Andy Griffith uh the party five bar you know he's just so ridiculous and nobody could really be this stupid and and then he kind of changes a little bit it seems like well no he's actually got some skill and then at one point you're like well maybe he's even the killer you don't you know there's some like sinister looks he gives and music and whatnot and let's talk about the dewey character just for a minute uh scott i'll start with you how did he what did you think about that character well, today I thought it was kind of a cornball, but my memory of it, you know, it kind of t- today's watching kind of changed my impression of the of Dewey and the Dewey Gale Weathers dynamic. Gale Weathers is Courtney Cox; she's the tabloid journalist who's following this whole story and kind of well, she becomes a part of the story because she kills um, our bad guy ultimately, or almost does. She shoots him. But so there's there's Dewey, David Arquette, and then there's the Dewey Courtney Cox dynamic. Yeah, I thought it was a little corny today, I, but I've always liked the Arquette family. <laughs> I mean, so I'm kind of a fan. Um, but if you're asking me, you know, kind of, you know, did I like the sort of Barney Fife or, you know, I kind of think even more of a, even though Gomer Pyle wasn't the 
deputy, you know, kind of kind of reminded me of that a little bit too. Um, I don't know. I th- he's he, all right. He he's exceedingly nice, and and that's kind of almost unique, right? It is so rare to have a character in uh, a horror film that is just legitimately a nice person. Like he he really really cares for everyone. Right and and he his heart's in the right place at all times. He he's a again a cornball, but he is very likable as a character and continues to be as the series goes on. Yeah, I think I like him better in some of the other uh, some of the sequels. Well, uh, definitely, and and you're right. This the relationship. I was I've seen this film dozens of times at this point, and I was kind of surprised today how quickly that relationship escalated and they were kissing on top of each other, kissing. Right? So today I was like, hold it. I, in my mind, that was, that took longer. Right? That was more of a growth into falling in love. And it's like, they're only, they only have like three minutes of screen time before then. And, and suddenly they're making out. <laughs> I was looking over the cast here on Wikipedia. Uh, I'm sure I should have known this. Uh, are you going to point out Linda Blair as one of the reporters? Yeah, I, I didn't remember that. So Linda Bro- Linda Blair does a cameo apparently as a reporter. Did you yeah. all notice yeah. her in there? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. she yeah, she's pretty prominent, and, and she's a uh, another jerk. Like the reporters are jerks in the movie. Yeah, they're just yeah. sensationalistic, looking for a, a to make a buck off of other people's suffering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. is brief. She's there, um, but you know, there's there's a couple of other moments. There's a Freddy Krueger type. Um, cameo, which was corny, and you know, but it was amusing. I thought it was. I thought it was fine. I was at the stove cooking when that happened. And I was real sad that I missed the uh, the gen- the Freddy janitor scene. Yeah. Well, I, I, I heard I heard it, but I'm like, oh crap! Was that, was that what that was? And yeah, I, I yeah. Was, the janitor's wearing the Freddy Krueger hat and the Freddy Krueger um, sweater. And the and Henry yeah. Winkler, who's the yeah. principal, calls him Fred. So yeah, and yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street is referenced, and Wes Craven is referenced in the movie. And actually, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Sydney says, or someone says, only the yeah, Sydney, only the first one was good. The other ones were crap. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, in which Rose he, he had, at the time he had only done the first one, right? So <laughs> he, 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 he was ripping the other people. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's that's true. I hadn't really thought about that before. I guess that's right. Only Craven had done the first one at the time. We only did the first one and the well, last one. Well, so, so New Nightmare had been out, yeah. Yeah, right, so yeah. he had done the two, but New Nightmare is not really part of the series, right? No, yeah, it's yeah. funny. Oh, man. And I also agree with that sentiment, by the way. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street's you know, my favorite horror film, and I dislike all but three and uh, New Nightmare. You know, I with the do Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you think Nightmare on Elm Street still holds up today? Is it rewatchable today? Do you think? Uh, I showed it like three or four years ago in class, and it seemed to go over okay. Uh, definitely did not hold up as well as other things. Uh, uh, it held up a little better than Halloween with my students. Uh, they really did not like Halloween. Hmm. Uh, it's just you know so much of that film has been ripped off. Right, so it all seems so familiar, and it's much slower paced than slasher films have become over the years. Uh, so they found it a little slow. Uh, I, I again enjoyed it because it's one of my favorite films of all time. But uh, but yeah, uh, Nightmare was a little bit slow for him too. Strangely enough, uh, hmm. we've just you know we've we've sped up these films so much. You know, you have to have so many more kills, so much more content, so much more gore um, in the films. So. So I, I, I think it holds up well, but again, I don't know if my students would agree with you. I've got a, I've got probably a very unpopular opinion about Nightmare on Elm Street um, that will draw some ire. Now you need to be careful. <laughs> oh, I like it. Don't get okay. I like the movie. What I'm gonna say is that I liked the remake too. I don't know. Did you guys even see that? No, I never saw. I, it. I have never. Se- I haven't seen it though. Um, there's a there in a paste or some magazine this past month. There was a, a article that was titled uh, 
the the other Nightmare on Elm Street remake needs to be revisited. It's better than you think it is, or something like that. Uh, but I didn't get around to reading it, and I haven't seen it. I own it. It's sitting here next to me on a shelf. But uh, I don't like remakes in general, and that's my favorite film. So I've been kind of I'm doing the punk. Uh, you know, I'm too good for that thing. I watched it. <laughs> well, you might you might not like it. Okay, so uh, let me. I have a couple comments. The the original Nightmare, um, of course, is a it's a great concept. Um, it's got I, I like the special effects because they're practical effects, not CGI. In the remake, 2010, um, it has CGI effects, so that kind of is not good. I just think it's scarier, and I think that the actor Jackie Earl Jackie Hale, Hale yeah, who plays Freddy, is much more. Uh, to me, it, it just then then um, uh, with who's the Freddy Krueger guy in, in Robert England? Yeah, Robert England. I mean, you know, I I, I just think Jackie Earl. I mean, that it scares me, and it gives it explains a little, you know, because we do learn that um, Freddy why he's bad and why he's after the kids from Elm Street because you know his the, their parents had had killed him for being a child molester that all kind of comes into the remake in a little more well it's all there and it's, it's just to me it's just darker it's darker and scarier so well anyway that's oh, I, off the subject I, I had already i had already planned on checking that out so I, yeah you might it's, want to it, it's now moving to near the top of my stack good <laughs> oh okay Let's ask this question. I think this is going to be a short question. Uh, is there anything in terms of worldview and faith that we can discuss from Scream? <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that's obviously your all's place there. I, the you know, when we talk about this in class, uh, uh, it, we you know obviously we talk a little bit about uh, misogyny and you know how this fits in with the uh, you know the standard tropes of the slasher film and how women are portrayed and how gender issues are portrayed but i don't think scream is particularly interesting in any of th in that area at all i don't think it has anything particularly novel to say yeah i'm gonna go with that too i tend to be the sort of media consumer that enjoys things that kind of mine those areas right that where there's where there's, it doesn't have to have a point. It doesn't have to be sending a message, but I kind of like it when you know when there's something sort of philosophical or theological or um, something like that to interest you, as as most or much great art does. I don't see much of that in here. It's like Gilligan's Island, man. You know, Gil who who? How can you not like Gilligan's Island? But it doesn't say anything. You know, there's really nothing. So I I. I I don't see the whole lot personally yet. I haven't seen it much that I would call worldview importance. No. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> Do you agree there, Philip? Did that what you yeah, I, I agree. I now, agree if there. this was New Nightmare, we could talk. I think it's got a fascinating exploration of indigenous cultures. So, mm -hmm. But this film does not have any of that. No, and it's not trying to. It's not no. No, no. Uh, and, and remember, this was a. Uh, uh, now I might be talking out uh, the wrong side. I, I might not be right here, but I, I believe this was for hire, right? I don't think this was originally a Wes Craven. You know, his ideal. I think it was mm -hmm. Kevin Williams of the writer's ideal, and Wes Craven. You know, was picked by the studio after it was picked up to to direct it, or he may have. You know, he may have. You know, made. It, been made aware of it and and sought it out but this is not a Wes Craven product as much as it is a Kevin Williamson product it's a it's a Tarantino you, you mentioned Tarantino this is kind of a Tarantino thing this is kind of a natural born killers or a, oh gosh what was the film with Christian Slater Ugh. uh yeah I know what you mean in uh, but anyway, Arquette, it was, or no yeah but Patricia Arquette Patricia Arquette, right before you know, before he mm -hmm. get to direct his own things, he you know he was a for hire guy. This is kind of it. It's got Kevin Williamson written all over it, and Wes Craven just made it and made it really well. Yeah, yeah you no. know, as we're go ahead. Uh, now I have to find out what that Christian Slater movie is. It's True Romance. It's called True Romance. Yeah, yeah. I, it's yeah. great movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a super. Oh, movie. Okay, it's classic. Yeah, you know, as we're talking here, 
there is that you'd have to just really try to go deep into this hole to pull anything out here but there is that one comment at the end of the movie when they're trying to explain a little bit what they're doing why they're doing is they actually killed Sydney's mom and mm -hmm. uh, do you remember why they actually mm -hmm. give an explanation yeah because she had broken up uh, his family yeah, so there's, you know, there's an adulterous relationship here. There's a moral element. All of this ultimately started the domino effect because of anger or hurt or betrayal or loss that came from uh, a moral failure, you know. But they don't even remotely attempt to pursue that at all. It's really just a, a dialogue mechanism to keep things moving forward it seems but i just leave that with you we at least should mention that probably if we're talking about this well the movie and he, and he, and he say, says it almost mockingly too i was actually surprised they went there because there's at least a couple times in the film where they say oh this is the millennium you know motives are irrelevant you know there's a couple of moments where they say they're you know we don't need a motive to have a great scary movie yeah they but said it right before they yeah yeah mm -hmm. so whatever yeah, I don't think they. I don't. I don't think they meant it. <laughs> like, I don't think it was that. Uh, these people are just psychopaths, right? Uh, and, yeah. and they say that they say that they they refer to themselves as sociopaths or psychopaths or something. Yeah, they do. At, at some point. Well, anything else you guys want to talk about before we call it a night? Uh, nope, I think okay. we covered it. <laughs> well, that was fun. That was a good discussion, and um, a good, great movie to talk about. So, um, yeah, if you haven't seen Scream, we all certainly recommend it. I think it's a movie you need to see. Uh, if you're in a, if you love the horror genre, or if you're getting into the horror genre, or uh, just want to watch some good movies, Scream's definitely at the top of the list. And we'd be interested to hear from you. What do you think about the movie? Did you find it uh, interesting? Did you like it? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Yeah, talk to us about that so we can keep the conversation going. On behalf of Danny and Scott, this is Philip with the Blackest Eye saying thanks for listening. Stay scared, and we will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.